This podcast is sponsored by Barclay Estates and Management Bristol. Whether you're a landlord or a tenant, Barclay Estates and Management are committed to providing you with the best possible service. We provide a hassle-free service for landlords and access to properties all over Bristol and the surrounding areas. to Robins Reunited. My name is Patch and we've had an overwhelming response to the last episode uh, with John Clayton and Dave Horseman. They have impacted so many players, uh, past and present, some really good stories in that episode. One about Max O'Leary, which I, I didn't know and the fact that he was a defender until the age of 14 and became a goalkeeper. Um, lots of interesting nuggets of information in there. So please do listen back to that and the previous two episodes um, when you get a chance. But in today's episode, um, we've got over a thousand appearances. This is an Easter special. You've got uh, the, the chocolate eggs around the outside and a gift in the middle. We've got our record appearance holder, Lewis Carey. We've got a Bristol City icon in Scott Murray. And we've got one of our best pure strikers that we've ever had in Tony Thorpe. First of all, I'm going to chat to Scott. Scott, come in, sir. Hello. Are you doing all right? Hey, there is a couple of eggs on here. <laughs> I, yeah, I've always thought of you as a as a hollow egg. If Thank I'm you honest. very much. Yeah, no, I thought that was a compliment. Yeah. Uh, Scott, so uh, you are you were born in Aberdeen in 1974, joined Bristol sure. City in 1997 from Villa. However, not a lot of people know that you almost signed for Liverpool, and I gather it was your friend Brian Tinian that uh, was the reason for you not signing. Is that true? Yeah, I think uh, Mike's working in a fish factory at the time, and um, Fletch is probably smiling now because he, he probably says I smell like fish. So, but it's one of them. I was, I was working in a fish factory, and um, as I said, I've been in, I've been in trial at Aberdeen. I went to Rangers, and you know what? I, 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 as much as I've been on trials and everything, I, I wasn't really holding out any hope of joining any of them. And then I went on a trial at Liverpool, and um, anyone knows me, I'm a big big Liverpool fan, and. Um, I scored in the cop end against um, Fletcher's team, Leicester, beating 1-0, and I scored in the cop end, and I celebrated, and there was literally nobody in there. So, <laughs> I think, and then um, a few weeks later, I think Tins has scored an offside goal against um, against Liverpool, and I think I think if you look back now at VAR, I think that goal be chalked off. So, I think um, I do give him a bit of stick about it, and as I said, um, to be fair, Grobler was in goal, so he's probably probably taking a few things <laughs> for that, I think. Brilliant. So, oh, yeah, and then, uh, and then a few weeks later, uh, soon as got the sack in there, Brian um, ruined my childhood dreams. Absolutely. Uh, it was funny because I was then I was the, I was then his best man at his wedding, and um, and it's safe to say I'd put that uh, every time I went up and got him a, a drink, it was probably treble. So it's good to think he probably didn't perform on his wedding night either. So I think right, yeah. uh, soon as back at him. Soon as you were the best man for. Ah, soon as. Oh, yeah, Scotland. Scotland had just scored. Sorry. Oh, we're getting live updates of the Scotland game here. Like, can uh, I just say else? something, Fletch? Right, listen. Don't say that because on my TV now, right? I've got oh, you're on a delay. These, I've got one of these Amazon Fire Sticks, and it's literally five minutes thirty seconds gone, and it's still nil nil. So what are you doing? What are you doing? Taping it? Taping it, Max. <laughs> <laughs> I don't watch it now. I want to watch it later after we've done this. Yeah, come on, let's, come on, let's maintain let's, some sort of professionalism here, please, Mr. Thorpe. Um, <laughs> so, so you signed from Aston Villa, John Ward signed you. Was there a transfer fee involved? 
Two pounds of lager, packet of crisps. I think um, I think it was about 150 grand. I think I think John Ward obviously he was he was from Birmingham, so I think we played um, at the Bescott Walsall's ground. So he probably came down here quite a lot. Him in TC, and um, as I said, in, in you know, obviously could see that I was a headless chicken. So I think <laughs> he ended up. I, I always remember my first day I came in, and you always wanted to make a good impression. I remember at the, at the old down at Ashton Gate. Um, it was the old gym, where, which was at the end of the long corridor. And I always remember, I got I got in there at, so say, say you, you said get in there at nine, I probably got there at eight. I went straight on a treadmill, trying to look keen and stuff. And uh, oh, Scotland's gone one nil up, by the way. And um, <laughs> that's in just scored now. That's Jet Fletch, that's in just scored now. So there you go, there's a minute 30 behind. So, and um, come out the story. So I, I was I was going on the treadmill, trying to look myself extra keen. And uh, to be fair, that last, at least 15 minutes so I think um, no I was, I was I remember coming down and seeing seeing Ashton Gate and, and um, being a, an, Ab- an Aberdeen fan as well and well, I've, got, I've got plenty of clubs in there uh, being an Aberdeen fan at Ashton Gate I think we were we were top at the time with Watford I think it was the um, I think we were both about 15 points clear of third so it was obvious we were going to be promoted to the championship and the crowds were 16 17,000 and, and obviously it was a uh, it was a big move for me. I didn't realise Bristol was so far south, though. Well, you had no idea where Bristol was when uh, I think I didn't, du- was. didn't Doug Ellis come into you and say something along the lines of "You're moving to Bristol," and you were like, "Oh, right, okay, where's that?" They said, "Scotty, listen, we've accepted a bid from Bristol. See you later, mate." So bless him. But um, as you said, when, when when they said it was Bristol, uh, I think my agent, he wasn't even a proper agent. I don't think bless him. I think he um, he drove me down. To, I didn't realise it was. It was down um, another hour and a half south. So, as I said, um, I, I couldn't believe it. And as I said, um, still here now. And it's, listen, it's a beautiful city and probably one of the best choices I've made in my life. Absolutely. That, that Brian Tinian goal saved you, if anything. Me? <laughs> <laughs> let's, move on to, let's move on to someone who definitely knows where Bristol is because he's born and bred in Bristol. Lewis Carey, sir, how are you? Yeah, good evening. I'm fine, thank you. I take it that means... Oh, I can't name the other. Le- oh, yeah, we know we've named him already. Thorpe, haven't we? Yeah, he's he's the gift, is he? <laughs> he's already. Is that he's what al- is? Yeah, he's he's already chirped up with a, an update on the Scotland game. So it's, oh, so uh, he's killed. He's killed the yeah. surprise. Okay. Cats out the bag. But um, Lewis, born and bred in Bristol in 1977. You were a YT for how many years before you came professional? Uh, just the two years. Okay, so you joined. Uh, you became a professional in 1995. Who was uh, who was manager then? Well. Uh, during my first year scholarship, it was uh, Russell Osman. And then during my second year, it was um, Joe Jordan. Uh, so again, whether, you know, these stars align at times, don't they, to get you your opportunities. And yeah, lucky enough for me, I wasn't even os- offered a scholarship, though. I was only two of um, two of a whole group of schoolboys who wasn't offered a scholarship at the time. So I went off to work with my dad and tried to retake my GCSEs, all 12 of them, and um, struggled. Yeah, struggled, struggled on site with my dad as well, kneeling on the floor doing Asda floor and wall tiling. Yeah. And, um, you know, was really grateful for the opportunity from Jerry Sweeney and Mike Gibson to go back into the club uh, because they were my schoolboy managers as there was a change of uh, youth team manager at the time, David Bell. And um, lucky enough, the way I played fit his philosophy. Um, you know, it was more of a playing out from the back style and so on rather than just kicking it long to the big men for Scotty to chase the ball in behind. And um, 
uh, and the rest is history. But it was, yeah, it was those opportunities. It certainly wouldn't have been me chasing it in behind. (laughs) (laughs) There's our special special guest in the middle again. Always always spoiling it, Fletcher, yeah. (laughs) It was never going to go to plan, but carry on, Lewis. Yeah, no, just opportunities arise, you know, change of youth team manager, change of first team manager. And like I said, fit in someone's belief, someone's philosophies and um, knew the boys, obviously. And yeah, I had two great years as a, as a scholar before um, being offered pro myself and sort of three other lads. Mm. OK, so when you broke into the first team, uh, I imagine it was sort of Mark Shell and Sean Taylor as a centre back too, was it? Um, yes, short, short, Sean was there at the time. Um, Shaley was there, Rob Edwards. It was a load of the, you know, Darren Bernard. It was a load of the old school lads, Kevin Nugent. Um, brilliant upbringing for me, as in to learn from. Um, mm. Tough group of lads, experienced group of lads. Um, I'm probably one of the only young lads in the team at the time. So for, for, for me to learn from these from these players and play alongside them and train with them, yeah. I think it's the best education you could have. Like, um, you know, I work in an academy at the moment and I think the boys miss out on these, on these chances and these opportunities to play in what was the old combination league or, you know, train with these senior players. I think there's a real opportunity miss where they can learn so much and grow. Um, but yeah, was playing in the youth, uh, sorry, playing in the reserves on the Tuesday night, got dragged off at halftime, spat my dummy out for a little bit before I got told I was going to be traveling to uh to york you know sat on that bus with gary hours and all the senior pros and you're getting you know you're getting all the stick whether it was about my hair at the oh, time what's another dog regards oh whether it's about me nose yeah or I was sleeping all the way or whether it was because i was sucking my thumb still at 18 whatever it was it was um you know get getting stick and and i always remember the the next morning you know the manager naming the team in the um in the hotel and literally shitting yourself um as soon as you hear your name come up. Um, but I think it's probably one of the best lessons for me to always, you know, always be prepared, always be ready. Um, so that was your first that, first appearance of the 646 was away at York, was it? Away at York, first away win of the season, clean sheet. I had a stinker, but hey, um, <laughs> it was it was one of the, the, the one thing that always sticks with me is that the, the, the um, there was probably two and a half, three thousand there. And the noise when you ran out of the tunnel for me, who hadn't played in front of crowds, you know, youth cup crowd of probably 400 was probably the most. Um, the noise, that little shot of adrenaline, that stayed with me forever. Whether I had a good warm up, a bad warm up, an indifferent week, that shot as I crossed the white line, you know, that always stayed with me from that um, from that game. Brilliant. Okay, let's move on to uh, our, our special guest that uh, is out of the bag already, Mr. Thorpe. How are you, sir? Really good, thank you. How's the game going? <laughs> uh, it's um, still one. No. Oh, brilliant. How long's gone in your flesh? Tony, Tony. Fair right. Who are they playing anyway? The other islands. They've just nearly scored. Listen, mate. Anyway, oh, sorry, Patch. Sorry, that's I do right. apologise. No, on. it's fine. It's fine. Makes it all makes it all natural, doesn't it? Uh, so Tony Thorpe, born in Leicester, nineteen seventy four, uh, joined City in nineteen ninety eight. Also signed by John Ward. But before we do that, I just had to touch on your time at Fulham and playing under Kevin Keegan. How was that? 
Yeah, um, it's short-lived, really. I was only there for probably less than six months. Um, kind of daunting, I suppose, playing for such a kind of legend as Kevin and Ray Wilkins. Um, I became good friends with Ray in the end because, obviously, I have some officiation with QPR and playing a lot of golf days and stuff. So I got to meet Ray. Obviously, unfortunately, he lost his life a couple of years ago. But them two guys were, were complete England legends. So a bit, obviously, in awe of them. And I don't normally get starstruck. But when you're playing in front of those two guys week in, week out, it's quite daunting, really. But uh, I didn't do as well as I should have done, but I was only there a short period. Um but the answer to your question is, yeah, amazing to play, um, obviously, under those two. Yeah, fantastic. Can you remember your City debut? So it was in 1998. Um, obviously, John Ward signed you. Was, was there a, a transfer fee for that one? Um, yeah, I think I came from million, I think. Okay. Um, in I think. I think. He's got next to him. He's got a tattoo. He's got a tattoo. <laughs> Um, Listen, he come in. When he's saying, he come in these little Porsche box, don't me. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's 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 actually. I'm not sure whether it was. Um, I've just got mixed up. It was a, it was a, a million at Fulham and a million for Bristol. I do oh, that's two, two million. <laughs> Bristol City, you mean, obviously. Yeah, oh, Bristol. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. But um, yeah, uh, there was a bit of confusion whether John signed me or whether it was a. Uh, um, Scott Davidson as a chairman who kind of got involved a little bit. I wasn't really too bothered who signed me, really. I don't think I was John Ward's kind of player, if I'm honest. I think okay. he liked big, strong boys, very direct centre forwards. And I was totally the opposite of that. Um, but I say I signed on the same day as Eddie Akinby, as you're well aware, I had a great season that year and ended up moving within 12 months. Um, he did really well and I didn't. <clears throat> but the actual debut, going back to your original question, Patch, I actually can't remember which what, what my debut was and what game it was, to be okay. fair. That's all right. That's all right. That's fine. Um, but you scored at least fifth. Well, I've gone on Wikipedia and they don't seem to tally up with other records. So Wikipedia says 128 appearances, 51 goals. So that's a really good return. One every sort of two and a bit games. And obviously as a fan you know, watching, I always remember that, you get the ball, then there's a there's a good chance in the in the box. There's a good chance it's going to be on target, which is often half the battle, isn't it? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I had a I had a kind of done. A, um, Lewis mentioned it um, a little bit earlier about you need a bit of luck in football, and when you get often an opportunity, people always say to me millions of times, and I'm sure these two guys have heard it. Um, yeah, but he was lucky, but you can't stay lucky for 20 years, can you? You know, Lewis has made. 600 and plus appearances you're not lucky are you you're, that yeah. means you're a very very good player and you've been consistent very similar to Scotty uh, obviously I played a lot of games with these two guys and you, you can't be lucky forever there's a great saying you can be lucky overnight you can be lucky for a month or a, a year but you can't be lucky for 20 seasons and these two guys are pretty much it on the, on the head really you, you've got to earn that right and that's why you get an opportunity and I felt that when I did get an opportunity at Bristol I felt like on the odd occasion, I, I probably took it. Fantastic. All right, coming back. He's to definitely you, the gift, Scotty. Definitely <laughs> the gift. What a nice <laughs> thing to say. Coming back to you, Scott. Um, 
you obviously are, you know, you, you've had, uh, again, Wikipedia says 354 appearances, but I'm sure it's more. Um, you were top goal scorer in the 0203 season, and you don't often hear of a top goal scorer who isn't a striker, but you, you, you don't generally Patch, pass, do Patch. you? Sorry, Patch, I'm just going to get a drink, but he was only top goal scorer because I left. <laughs> but uh, but obviously playing five aside with you on a Monday night, you you generally don't pass. Is that the secret to your success? Well, listen, it's one of them things. You know what? Me and Lewis, we 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 used to do this thing after training with with Frank Barlow. We used to have this little um, close peg, right? And we used to stay behind training, me, Lewis, and Frank, and just practice aiming for this close peg. And nine times out of ten, a close peg be across. So obviously, because Lewis was playing right side as well at the time, and the the the, the close peg would be in the right hand inside of the right hand post, and we would just stay a repetition for about half an hour trying to hit the close peg. So I think even if you look at Lewis's goals that he scored as well, I think they're always across the keeper, and it, it's weird because you got into just into habits and and you know what you didn't actually need to look where you were on the pitch. I think you'd know roughly where you were, and you'd know where the close peg was. So I think it's it's one of them things and. As I said, I was always taught as a young age that if you, if you hit across the keeper, the keeper saves it, then somebody like Fletch signing for a million quid all these times is, is going to tap in and get his goal bonus. So I think... Um, it it's, it's, really it's, worked that year though, Scotty, didn't it? Because I think you got 29 and I got two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you're a defender, Lou. We had 29 clean sheets though, so there you go. It, it adds up in the end. Brilliant. Adds Scott. up. So yeah, it's just, you know, we're just... Little, little practice after training, and, and you know what? It's tricky now because you watch the lads training nowadays, and, and you know what? They, the <clears throat> the manager's not actually in charge of the, the sessions nowadays. They've, you've got these people walking about with iPads and and stuff like that. And, and I think back in the day, if it, with me and Lewis, I think if we tried and if we tried to stay behind now, they'd probably usher you off straight away. And and, and I think um, as I said, so it's it's one of those things. We were lucky with the management bunch that they enjoyed people staying back after training and. And, stuff. And, and you know what? It's probably more the fact that we didn't want to go home. So I think we we quite, we quite enjoy being in each other's companies. And and you know what? Even when we we, we changed at Ashton Gate, I think we we'd all end up going to Denny's or North Street, getting a sandwich, a packet of crisps, and and a can of iron brew, and sitting in the home dressing room for a couple of hours. So I used to tell the 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 ex misses I was doing a double session. So she probably she won't listen to this anyway. So it's fine. Brilliant. Uh, well. As I as I well, yeah, we'll touch on some goals, but one goal that is iconic for you, not necessarily the goal, but the celebration. I'm just going to read an excerpt from uh, the Bristol Post. So Murray was having a miserable afternoon, booked for descent. <laughs> <soon after. laughs> oh no! Oh no! Are you dyslexic? Are you sure you read that right? That's I'm, re That's I'm reading it right. <laughs> Book, booked for descent. Having uh, become the target of lots of abuse from the home fans uh, in from Cardiff. In a moment of pure slapstick, he slipped and landed on his backside in a pitch-side puddle. By the dugouts. Uh, what I better way that. to respond, though, with a goal that turned the match? Tony Thorpe, on the podcast here, produced an inch-perfect crossfield pass on 55 minutes, and Murray darted past defender Dean Gordon before placing his shot wide of the goalkeeper, Neil Alexander. Two minutes later, the Scot exacted more revenge, latching onto an Aaron Brown pass midway inside the Cardiff half and driving towards the penalty area before netting a low shot that squirmed under diving Alexander body. But it was the celebration that you're probably most famous for, Scott. Do you want to talk us through what went it's through your head? You know what? On the, I, I remember the day, the day before the game, I was actually 
quite nervous because they just signed Dean Gordon, as you said, unknown for Middlesbrough, I think. And he was a, like a Premier League um, left back. I remember Fletch always said to me, Scott, I don't worry about him, he's shite. He said, just get, he can't run. He said, just get in. And in the end, as I said, and, and then it's funny, in the, in the tunnel before the, the game, I think we're standing in the tunnel literally two minutes before the kickoff. We're standing in there, Sam, a man's walking past. There's a big fucking moose on the, on the, behind you. Like, so, you know, like they, when people shoot deer and stuff like that, they got the deer head in the house. Well, there was a big moose one and, or something in the, the, the tunnel at Cardiff. And then Jock, Andrew Jordan, shouldn't really stitch him up, really. He goes, Scotty, listen, if you score, just tap your head. And I think, and I'm like, fuck, I'll tap my head. I ain't got nothing in there. So why would I tap that? He goes, listen, just tap your head. So like, um, as I said, I think the, the first goal of, I think I've chopped inside Dean Gordon and then put it past him. And then I remember standing, so they scored there and then at the right-hand side, I just tapped my head. And looking back now, it's probably, I know it's now the Bob Bank, but it was like um, probably the East End for our place where all the the the, the lively fans are. And then um, I remember getting the ball straight away, literally the next minute, and the, the, the crowd, were, um, they started booing. And, um, and, and then, um, as I said, this went under Neil Alexander, one of Scotland's finest keepers, scrummed under him. And then, um, as I said, and then I've literally tapped my head all the way back and then got to the halfway line. And then I, I always remember Lewis has, Lewis has grabbed me because Danny Wilson is one of them. Listen, lad, you fucking score. Don't take your time getting back. Take your time getting back. And I, I look back at the video now and it's obviously in VHS or Betamax. Lewis, is, he's telling me off in the halfway line. <laughs> And at the time, so Lewis is going, what the fuck, you can get back down there. And I'm actually trying to catch coins at the same time. So I think, um, as you said, it was just a, I hate the moment thing. And as I said, I didn't realise it would, it would have uh, this much <laughs> packed everywhere. So I think, um, so I bet, no, as you said, it was, it was a brilliant time. And, and you know what, it's always nice being one of your local rivals away anyway. Mm. But the, the, the tapping of the head was one thing. Obviously, the, the, the image that is more famous in terms of you've had flags made, um, and when the statue gets put up, this will be this will be the uh, this will be the statue with that. Eric Morkham. <laughs> it does look like, like Eric Morkham, actually. It's like no, you know what? It was just. It was, I think it, cup in the air. You know what? I, lo I love a bit of banter on the pitch, and, and you know what? The fans give you a bit of banter. Listen, you give it straight back, and I think you end up getting a respect of the away fans. Then if you try and give them a little bit back, so I think it was just more. It was just more winding them up. I think and. Yeah. As I said, it was, it was always a nice place to go in the name part. They, they treated us really well there. And I, I remember the following year, there was a, there was a sign up in the corner of, the, of the, the pitch before the game and it said, Scotty Murray has a see you next Tuesday. So I think it was, uh, it was, quite, it was quite nice for them to think about me again. But that was a great game. I think it, Lee Matthews scored. Lee Matthews, you see when Lee Matthews scores, he's yeah, like that yeah. the whole time. I don't know why, because he ain't going to hear. But Scotty, it ruined many a night out in Newport for us. It so couldn't go. We're, we're at the we're, we're at the Premier League darts. I think it was the it was the last round and a pal of ours was playing, um, and we're just about to sit into the little VIP area to settle down live on Sky Sports. It all gets announced. Next minute, there's a there's a rush over there. Security guard, he's you got these twenty <laughs> these twenty Cardiff fans trying to jump over into the VIP area and rip Scotty's head off. <laughs> <laughs> I remember going to watch as well. I remember going to watch. Um, I might have been Liverpool Chelsea in the the League Cup final or something at Cardiff, and I remember standing there. With, um, I can't remember where I went with. 
Well, so I went there with, with a mate, and all of a sudden, this great big six foot five geezer started walking towards me with a skinhead. And as I said, I'm not really well liked in Cardiff as it is anyway. So I think it's, I'm shitting myself. And in the end, he's come over and spoke to me. He's all right, Scotty. It was our second day's boyfriend. And he was like a bouncer, and I was shitting myself because I thought I was literally going to get sparked out again. But, uh, no, I'm not very well liked over there, but it's, it's what it is, isn't it? Yeah, brilliant. Okay, we're going to come to Lewis. One goal that I remember from you was the Crystal Palace away game and that well-worked training ground free kick. Was it was it something you planned? Honest truth, I was third in choice. So <laughs> it was it was called the weasel and it was to play it around the wall and it was to get a wall pass. But I think it was um, Adebola was first or something. Nick Carr was second. I was third. And lucky enough for me, it sort of ran behind everybody. Um, and it's something we did in training, like what Scott had alluded to earlier with the uh, pegs in the goal. Um, we stayed behind constantly doing finishing. And it was something I was actually really comfortable with, just didn't really ever go up front and, and, and do it. But I really enjoyed it in training. It was a part of training that I really enjoyed. And um, and it just came off in the game. But the game was, the, the game was, you know, it was special. It was, it was a, a really special time. We'd been promoted the year before. The, the crowd, the turned up week in, week out and the noise that they made. I think it was the excitement of being back in the championship for the first time in nine years. Um, and we always travel well anyway with, you know, the support. And the day was just the most beautiful sunny day. And, you know, we stayed in a hotel the night before. And I think that was the night we all went around a golf course on buggy, Scotty, wasn't it? And found ourselves <laughs> in a few bushes. But, hey, you know, all part of the... All, all, all part of the fun in games and, you know, we were lucky enough to get away with it, getting a um, little bit of wedding, wedding crashes partying on the, on, on the evening. Brilliant. And then um, off, off to bed, ready for the, for the playoff semi-final and, and on, on the day, the boys, the boys turned up, but yeah, it was a, it was a training ground move definitely. And it was called, um, it was called the weasel. Wow. So I can't remember if that was first or David Noble's goal, but both fantastic strikes. Um, and then coming back to Ashton Gate, lift the, the, the literally the, the stand was shaking. And I've only ever felt it a couple of times at Ashton Gate. And it was the, you know, the Palace, the Palace game when McIndoe scored, um, I think from a free kick. Uh, and then the Hartlepool game. So just touch on that. The Hart, Hartlepool game where we we scored two late goals, Christian Roberts, and um, uh, Mark Goodfellow, yeah, and again, absolutely shook. I interviewed Jeff Stellin uh, back in May 2020, and he said that he was at the game and he had never felt anything like it. And you know, it was it was the whole ground shaking. Memories of of that night, Lewis. Tuesday nights under lights at Ashton Gate. Yeah, they were they they were special anyway, but playoff games. Like I said, you know, when the, the, the nights are the sun's setting late and everything and the Crystal Palace one first off was incredible because we started really poorly. We conceded a little mix up. I think it was Jamie McComb and Basso. They equalised and then Watson missed a penalty with, I think, something like five minutes to go. Mm. Um, it gave us the lifeline. That would have actually put them through. Um, and then McIndoe, like you said, with the free kit. But that, that was a special evening to get the opportunity to go uh, win one more game to go to the Premier League. But with regards to atmosphere, Oh my God, the Hartlepool was the the one the one occasion where you genuinely felt felt the the ground shake. I remember looking at the Dolman and it genuinely looked like it was shaking. 
Mm. It was um, it was an incredible, an incredible night, but an incredible atmosphere. And like we said, the support that the fans, that the fans do give you when they get behind you and you're doing well is, is unbelievable. Is, you know, it's something that you want to cherish. But the, the the last minute, two goals in the last couple of minutes, yeah, the the, the roof came off, and that's one of the most special nights, you know, I I, I can ever remember in football. Brilliant. I think the fact that Goody scored ahead of us was more surprising than anything. I think, um, as you said, it was a great leap by him. And as you said, it was just, listen, the, the whole atmosphere the whole night was, was class. And, and um, I remember Neil Cooper, obviously, the, he's passed away now, the Hartlepool manager. I'm a big Aberdeen fan. And I remember seeing him after the game and he was he was a broken man, I think. And as I said, it was, um, and then obviously Christian Roberts has scored the, the, the winner right at the end. It's, Listen. Another memory I've got of that of that goal, Scott, is you delicately clicking over, kicking over a sound boom. Well, I probably missed that as well. I think at the time, yeah, no, so you, I think... like you, you went to sort of kick it, and then you sort of just delicately tapped it over. It went to, when Christian Roberts scored. Yeah, it's either that or swear. So I think it was, I probably <laughs> made the better thing. I think, and I think I'd have got told off for swearing on on uh, with a microphone. So give it a gently little kick, and it's the best way. Absolutely. Tony, coming to you, um, obviously you've scored a, a number of goals, 51 if Wikipedia is anything to go by, uh, for Bristol City. One goal that I'd to like tell to... tell you exactly how many he got. Well, yeah, do you want to... Is that right six, or wrong? Six, 62 it is. Okay, so may, maybe... maybe why, <laughs> why, wouldn't, why wouldn't Wikipedia put cup goals on? I assume that's it's what 50, missing. Yeah, it's 51 league goals, I think, right. and then the 11 of obviously cup goals, but yeah. Okay, fine. <clears throat> so, December 2000, Bristol Rovers... Win 3-2. You get the winning goal. A lovely cross from Aaron Brown and a diving header from Tony Thorpe. That was what a fan has picked out as, as their favourite goal. Your your recollections of that evening, first of all, and that goal? Yeah, it was um, was it around Christmas time, I think. Yeah, maybe? December. Yep. Yeah, so the atmosphere was electric. Obviously, local rivals at the time. I think both clubs were, I wouldn't say we were struggling. We had uh, aspirations of getting in the playoffs. I think we failed that year. But... Um, Bristol Rovers had a really good side, I think, at the time. Really good side. I think uh, they went 1-0 up with him. About, I think Lewis. Was it Marcus Bignett? My fault Bignett? as well. It was, yeah, it was, yeah, it was Marcus my fault. I've let, I've, let him, I've let him run past me. I think, the very first 30 seconds. And then, obviously, I've, I've let him run past me. And then, by the time I think Lewis has realised that Scott has been lazy yeah. again, I think he's got in the box. And Lewis can't bring him down because Lewis <coughs> yeah. him down and then he gets sent off. So, for, I'm, I'm, the, the, the one good thing was... It was it was literally the first minute, so I I I, I did get a bit of a bollocking, and it was remember, it was my fault from long ago. Um, on the odd occasion, someone sends me the video, you know, if it's that year or twenty odd years ago or so on, so on, and it was the first minute. I think Lewis, you probably would have brought him down, wouldn't you? Because he just squeezed inside you, didn't he? And then just clipped a great finish from. I played with Biggie at QPR; he's a great lad, but he he actually finished it quite well, didn't he? Great finish. He did. He finished it really well. But anyway, yeah. And then we we bought beads on for Lee Peacock. Um, went off with a, another one of his fake injuries. Um, and I'll ask him about Pe- that. I'll ask him about that in a few weeks' time when I do Peacock yeah, and Matthews. No, no problem. Um, so and then I think we bought beads on, and he made a massive difference within half an hour, and we kind of got back into it. Um, I think um, if I remember rightly, Keith Millen squeezed one in, did he? I think it was Keith, was it? Yeah, I think so, yeah. And then uh, Beads. Yeah, and then yeah. Beads scored. And, and then it made it a nervy 10 minutes. I think I got the third. Great ball from Aaron. Obviously, um, 
ran off the length of the pitch and put a, a decent mm. ball in and managed yeah. to get on the end of it. And then it kind of made it a bit edgy last 10 minutes. So I think they nicked one. But the, uh, Lewis was talking about the atmosphere, the Hartlepool game. Obviously, I wasn't there that day. Um, but the noise on that particular occasion that day was probably the loudest I'd experienced playing for Bristol City. In I, a think I, remember, I, been a, I think because it, it was a Friday night, I think it was a, I think they made it out as a red and <clears> white night. I think when we come out, when you come out, I think all the fans are waving red and white things. I think the crowd were told to wear red and white. And, and as you said, but listen, as Lewis and Fletch said, on, on midweek games under the lights are the best any footballer can ask for. I think um, a little bit of dew in the pitch. As you said, they, it seems like the, the atmosphere is a lot better in the evening games. And, and as I said, under the floodlights, it's, it's, I remember as a little kid, you, you're driving past, you're looking for the floodlights at any football stadium. And if they're on, you get a little buzz. And, and you said, it was no different when you played in the midweek game. I, I loved it, loved them. Yeah. What a clever I, um, publicity stunt that is, telling people to wear red and white to a game. Amazing. Isn't it? I know. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, Against your local rivals, you wear blue exactly. and white. Exactly. But the... Um, we, we we were not a bad side at that particular occasion uh, that year, but we just faced, we, um, it's been said millions of times, we obviously underachieved, but, you know, we did have the capabilities of beating anybody. And on that particular evening, we we played some good stuff. Uh, and a very, and this this is true, against a really good Bristol, I think a decent Bristol Rovers. I think they had Edrington up front, um, who's decent. Mm. Um, yeah, and they, they they were strong at the back. You know, some big big strong boys. So always a difficult game. Always a, a in a local derby. I never actually ever played well against Bristol Rovers at all um, in my whole career. I've scored against them a few times, but never actually played well. But, but we, people you know, remember I, I okay. people remember that goal though. So uh, so I wouldn't I wouldn't have, you don't have to mention yeah. all the other all the yeah. other games. No, absolutely <laughs> not. I'm on about in my um, oh other, for other games. Them, Many a time for Bristol City, but against yeah. when I was at Luton or okay. um, other clubs, I did so. Yeah, um, but that's probably not one of your, you know, your favourite goal in terms of uh, you know the many goals you scored. Are there any others that stick out in your memory? I mean, I think, a lot, a lot of people describe you as the fox in the box when I speak to people about Tony Thorpe and for playing for Bristol City. That real sort of, you know. Per, Patrolling, patrolling the box, waiting, waiting for opportunities to, to get the ball and, and, and shoot on target. As I said earlier, is there any any other goals that that you um, that you'd like to to reference? Yeah, that really annoys me when someone says fox in the box. Because, Does it? You know what? Yeah, you know what I was going to say actually. You know what? Fletch is probably one of the the the, the brightest forwards I've ever played with. Honestly, he's so he was so intelligent. He's <clears throat> honestly, and I'm not just saying it because he's here. But the amount of times that I'd get in because he would he would take a touch and then reverse past me and it's frightening honestly. And as you said, um, and, and, do you know what Fletcher knew where the, the goal was with the predators on he used to wear. And as I said, he was he was class. He was a joy. To, he was a joy if I can play with honestly. I think um, I think what frustrates me is um, I think it's an affectionate term. It's not it's not anything. Yeah, derogatory. I think, um, I think when you when you when you're a goal scorer, people always think that you score majority of your goals in a box in the eighteen yard box. Now, looking back at my career, which I have done many a times, I'm getting old now, but I never, I, I've chipped keepers from 25 yards. I've bent, like Scotty has, bent balls in, you know, in the corners. I haven't just been someone sitting in a six-yard six year box waiting to, to, to tap balls in. I'd like to right, think you that not I was... Newcastle, mate. Come back, go against Newcastle. I wasn't in the box. But you, <laughs> I, I'd like to be known as somebody that, 
Scotty mentioned it earlier. I wasn't bad. And Lewis, you remember this when he played right back. You could pop balls into me in and around the 18-yard box. And I can try and I'd like to think I'd make things happen, whether I'd scored or not. Mm. But a predator, I don't think I was a predator. I think I was a decent finisher. But a predator for me is somebody who just floats around and just waits for... I mean, I scored a lot of those goals. Of course I did. But I'd like to think my game was a, a little bit more better than that. Yeah, you're, you're a, 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 I, would, I also said at the start, a pure, a pure striker. You get, you get strikers <clears throat> who, um, you know, come deep or, as you say, patrol the six-yard box. But, yeah, definitely, definitely up there as one of the best pure strikers that in my time. Um, and as you said, scoring goals from from all sorts of angles, and as you say, over sixty goals for Bristol City. So it's a fantastic return, and 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 someone that uh, that that fans always refer to um, as as one of the best strikers we've had. Uh, let's come on. You mentioned we've mentioned Bristol City Gate, uh, Bristol City, Bristol Rovers derbies coming to Scott and Lewis. Other than that game in two thousand. Were, I, I'm sure Lewis was, but Scott, were you also playing in the game where there was the, the, the pitch invasion at the end that was live I, on Sky? I, I, I signed in 97, so I think I signed, at the, I think that was at the start, I think it was in August or something, because I, I think it was at the League Cup game or no, I don't know. I, 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 I remember game. seeing it when I signed because I think, um, I think we played Rovers, I can't remember, but I remember um, somebody saying about the pitch invasion, and I, as I said, I signed in 97, like the end of 97 and I think it was in the League Cup or something which is usually in August or September time so I think I just yeah. missed it Lewis were you playing? I'm trying to think I'm sure I was I played in that one and, and the previous one where um, you must have remembered sprinting the, off the pitch <laughs> no I didn't sprint off I was like clapping um, <laughs> I, was, I was supporting them um, it, no, it was it was that one in the, and the and the previous game because they beat us a couple of times at home on Tuesday nights and one was live on Sky. I think the equalised in the last minute mm. and the the fans were ripping the dome stand to pieces and you know the, the the Rovers fans behind the goal and the chairs that are coming over. I was playing right back. Do you know what I mean? Trying to get a ball off the keeper in the bottom corner and it was <laughs> it was brutal. But. Um, no, there was a, yeah, there was a couple. Listen, I, I think we're all well aware. We've said before, our fans travel well, and you know the, the the group can look after themselves. That's for sure. And you know when when they're ready to lose it, I can remember at Cardiff at home we got beat six 0 Scotty. When the crowd are ready to lose it, they'll um they'll let you know. They'll let it's, you know. You know what? It's not a nice it's not a nice place at all for even for home players. If if you're if you're not um, playing well, or as you said, if you're getting humped by one of your main main rivals, listen. You get you're straight in the car and straight home, and you don't see anybody for a for a week after that. So yeah, I think keep a low profile. And as you said, it's um yeah, it's not a nice it's not a nice thing. And and the thing is, we we're probably lucky back then because do you know what? The only social media floating about back then was fans forums, and um I think um you need to be thick skinned even to read them. So I think uh, we were quite lucky, and, and obviously there weren't camera phones and mobiles at people, but I think um, nowadays it's. It's just horrendous, and I think um, I think if you, any bit of advice for any young player, I think would be to listen, stay clear of any social media for as long as you can. Absolutely. Let's talk about partnerships um, on the pitch. Uh, I know off the pitch that uh, you three probably shared hotel rooms, but I don't know if we can talk about much of that. But uh... I actually, I actually, I actually shared Lewis's clothes. <laughs> there was listen, so, we, it, it, so for example, say we played somebody away from home. It's one of them, right? We, 
back of the bus, we you'd probably end up having a few beers or whatever. And then I'd, be, I'd usually be sat next to Lewis and Fletch. We'd be playing hearts, but barely. Barely would never, ever pay because he was the tightest man in the world. I think he'd lose any cards. You play 10p a point or something. So barely would be down 20 point. He would try and like, um, he'd blag you off. You get no chance. I'll get it Monday. He wouldn't be in training Monday, would he? But I think, um, so it's, it's one of them. So Lewis, so we'd be all sat right on the, on the coach. And it was, it's weird. I've got goosies now thinking about it. So you get all excited butterflies. So, for example, if we played away somewhere and won convincingly two or three now, right? We'd, we'd be sat playing hearts, and all of a sudden, we'd be like, that. "How far to Bristol?" Oh, well. I'd look, I'd look at Lewis. Lewis, what are we saying? What are we saying? <laughs> so Lewis, would be like, ah, come on, we'll, we'll have a good pop out, could we? So then, what would happen? I'd have to phone Monica, who run uh, McCluskey's. So Monica used to run McCluskey's. So I'd, I'd phone her up because Monica, listen, but because it was, it was like pam pams. Now I think if you're not there at eleven o'clock, chances are you ain't getting in. So I'd be like, Monica, listen, she's not going to be back from the game. Probably be there quarter past, half past 11. She'd go sound Scotty, just make sure when you get there, come and find me. So what we would do, we'd get, we'd get um, straight back to Lewis's house. I'd park my car there. And Lewis, <laughs> we used to, I used to wear the same outfit every weekend. So there'd be a pair of, there was a pair of, right, I'm a size seven, six and a half, seven. So Lewis's cream leather shoes were a nine or something. I'd have them on. And I was like a, I don't know, I'd say I was a 30 waist. Lewis was a 34 waist or 32 waist. So the jeans were already too baggy for me to waist and too long. So I'd have them on. And then just to, just to finish it off, because any bloke that likes his clothes knows you've got to match your shirt for your shoes. So Lewis used to give me this rascal, and I mean rascal, cream leather shirt. And listen, honestly, are you, and then you get to the stage now, you go into town and people will be saying, oh, Scott, did you go straight back to Lewis's again, did you? And we'd, we'd, we'd do it every away game because it, it's one of them, you know what, when you win away from home, it's probably one of the best feelings you can get. Yeah. And then, as I said, and, and then, as I said, we'd, we'd see the lights of Bristol and people like that itching, thinking, oh, God, okay. And then I'd end up going sleeping at Lewis's house and eat a massive Scooby-Doo in his bed. And I, so there you go. So I ended up in bed with Scooby Doo every other Saturday night. It was perfect. Well, there was, was two, Scotty. It was in bed and it was like Forpy touched on earlier the Beta Max. Put the Beta Max video in. There was a choice of two. It was Grease or Cheating Bitches. That was, that was the two. That was the two. That was the two videos every Saturday night. No, I can't believe you chucked out as well. Brilliant. Well, the Betamax player or the or the videos? No, no, the, the actual Betamax film. Patch, these two had the same. These two had the same color card. Yellow, they had a yellow McGann, wasn't it? You two. It's to match your teeth, Fletch. Same as your teeth, mate. <laughs> I, yeah, I used to um, when I came down. They, these boys used to think that I was from London. I actually, obviously, was from Leicester, but because I came from a couple of kind of southern clubs, Fulham and Del Boy, mate, you're like a little Del Boy. I used to turn, I turned up with the first couple of weeks I turned up, these two had two yellow, do you have yellow McGann's? I'm sure you yellow did. Yellow yeah. Yellow McGann's. Honestly, they're like two peas at the same point. You could not separate them. They were brilliant. Oh, I mean, the fun we had great memory. The funniest thing about them McGann's, I remember, and then, so Crammy used to play with us as well. Listen, Crammy, anyone knows Colin Cram, listen, he's the big, actually, no, he's not a liar because he dreams <laughs> his own cars. But I remember, so me, me and Lewis had got these cars. So like, um, there was like a basic 1600 Bright yellow Rena McGann. So literally about a month later, Crammy's come in, <laughs> as Crammy does, Tommy Topper, 16 valve, two litre, yellow McGann convertible. Talk to me. And he's giving all big spuds. 
giving it a big spud saying, yeah, yeah, I paid for cash and everything. I remember we were all sitting, <laughs> we were all sitting in the dressing room and Rita, Rita, the sexy, walked in and said, Crammy, Elisa's doing your car. I mean, that was it. Bet done, mate. Crammy, that was it. So he, tried, he actually tried to say there was a mistake. They, they were joking. So a bit crabby, at least they mate. Hey, Scotty, the, the thing is, there's me and you driving around Bristol, like instead of car sharing, we were like following each other. Do you know what I mean? Thought we were the real deal, thought we made it. And then Fletch turned that million pound signing from Fulham. Yeah. And a boxer, Porsche boxer, boxer just blew us out of the water. I had a yeah, new mate really. then. I'd been Scotty off and I used to sit with Fletch yeah. to get a sandwich every day. I know. He's been on his brogues and his chinos, giving it all the yuppie style, isn't he? Absolutely, Scott, Scott. Do you want to just tell? I mean, we've you've referred to him as Fletch a number of times. Uh, fans listening might not know the reason. Do you want to just embellish on that? I, I don't know if anyone's ever watched Dream Team. So there was a program on Sky Sky One called Dream Team, which was about they used to follow this. It was like a make believe football team, and the striker is them. I can't. It was Carl Fletch. I think his name was or or Fletch. And he was like, as you said, we all thought Fletch was a little cockney. So we used to, when Fletch on Dream Team is a little cockney wide boy, he's like a little Dell boy. And that's what we, like Fletch is probably one of the funniest people I've ever met. And he'd walk in, like, give it the odds. And you're like, Dell boy does. I'm like, boy, it's sad, boy, it's sad. And then, with his brogues on the ring. And they turned up one session with his little boxer. And that was it, Fletch. That's it, name stuck from there. But it was cockney. Actually, the, the, the truth of the story is, I think. Obviously, Scotty and, and Lewis called me because Scott Davidson once um, wasn't in the, uh, the we used to park outside the ground and we used to go to the ground and then we used to go to the training ground. So we used to park our cars and the chairman wasn't there one day and I parked in his spot <laughs> and he came out and went, Who's in my spot? And everyone was like, It's Fletch. Fletch is in your spot. <laughs> and I knew, it was, I knew it was Scott's. I met Scott actually a couple of months uh, month before, a couple of months before lockdown. Scott will be Last listening year, to this, had, Tony. Scott had, will be listening to this. Yeah, he's a lovely man. We had a really good chat. It's the, it's the last time I saw Lewis, actually. And uh, I told him that uh, kind of that story, the, why the boys call me Fletch. So I remember parking in your spot on purpose. It didn't go down very well, please. Class. You mentioned nights out, Scotty, and obviously most of them were in Bristol. Oh, he's had a few. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I, I know. And he don't, don't drink, but... Uh, um, no, no. A new, a, um, most most of your nights are obviously in Bristol, but did you ever get the opportunity? Because obviously, as fans, we love a, a London away trip where we can go out and stay out in London. Did you do you guys ever have an arrangement where you could say, "I want to oh, stay up in Newcastle, or have a night out, or something like that? One, one New Year, I think I may have been every other weekend. I know. I think we played. I think we played Brentford or something like that. And it's funny because I think I think I might have scored in the game. I think we ended up going to watch the Dats again. Me and Lewis, and we've ended up going to watch. Um, I think it might have been Taylor against Barnabelt, one of the greatest finals ever. And I think Clash of the Titans. That was, that was honestly, and I, I remember watching me and Lewis were there, and they were lit. And it was I think it ended up seven six, and it was one of the best finals ever. And they said that that's and the PFA awards. The PFA awards were massive. I think usually around about March. I think it was around about March time, and you'd always the end of the season, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. So you'd, you'd look. You'd hope you were at home on the Saturday because. Nine times out of ten, if, if the PFA the PFA awards were always on a Sunday, so if, the, if you were at home on a Saturday, you would literally have your suit with you um, at the game. I think you'd go straight to your um, suit or your sort of Lewis's suit. Oh no, Lewis! Lewis is always better dressed than me. Jesus! I remember one year, one year the PFA awards, right? My false teeth fell out, right? So I used to have a plate. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm swerving the story here. So we, I, I used to have a plate, right? And we got that drunk. Oh, no, sorry, tipsy. We got that drunk at the PFA Awards, right, on the on Sunday. I've had to glue my teeth in. Because I think I, I think might have been one in was a few of us in team of the year. So, so by the time, by the time we'd been out all day um Covent Garden, just the mess, steaming. And I remember um I fell on my table at that, banged my head, my teeth had broke. So I think the lads are like, oh, Scott, you fuck, you fuck me, you're getting you get me up on the screen and I bet for the team of the year. So I ended up getting some super glue, glued my teeth back together, signed, never thought nothing of it. Team of the year, Scotty Murray, I was like that, fucking I couldn't move. <laughs> And then put the suit back. Following year, we've gone back again. Guess what? The super glue's still in the pocket. <laughs> Honestly, we, we used yeah, to have a, we used to have some great fun on the PFA awards, didn't we, Luke? Oh, we used to go down there together, didn't we? And yeah, we'd, so spend we'd, sat- we'd spend Saturday night. I mean, this, uh, we're not afraid to say this because obviously times have changed in terms of football and professionalism. But I wouldn't say we weren't professional because we were, but we also liked a good time as well as young lads. But um, we'd go down on a Saturday. Maybe if we had a game or not, and spend all day Saturday there, or if we had a game straight after, and then we'd literally get comatose on a Sunday and come back Monday, wouldn't we? Remember, and usually, year, really. we would hope if, it, if we'd won this Saturday, the manager would usually say, They said, if we'd won this Saturday, Monday off, or in late afternoon. So that's what you're, that's what you're hoping for. And as I said, we'd go, we'd go, we'd go um, straight from Temple Maze again, barely. There's, um, I remember barely turned up at the train. And um, within five minutes of the rounds coming in, he's 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 forgot his wallet, left his wallet at home. I've done I've never seen anything <laughs> like it. He's not watching this, Scott. Are you destroying him? <laughs> no, yeah. okay. My my lad plays for his team now, so that's my lad dropped. Yeah. I'm only joking, <laughs> Scotty, Scotty, what about the World Darts Championship though? So we it's the busiest time of year, right? The Christmas Christmas period. And we're we're at the final that Scotty's alluding to a minute ago, and we're there with Mark Dubridge, who's a uh, Bristol City fan, excellent darts player, you know, former World Masters champion at the time. Me and Scotty think we're really cool keeping away from like, you know, the cameras and all this sort of stuff. But my missus and, and the world champions with us. So the camera keeps going on my missus and him all, all tournament. There's me and Scotty like, da, 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 da. we got <laughs> a couple of things. So they, they, they would, what they would do, they'd give you bottles of vodka. So we would hide the drinks with the menus. So no one could actually see the bottles of vodka behind the, the menus. So it's like it was just yeah, it was it. And remember, we ended up getting making good mates with I think it was Mick that worked for Sky Sports, and I still see my games now. And it, as I said, it, as I said, he used to get us the best tables right, right in the mix. And as I said, we just had to be careful with our drinks, what we were drinking. And anytime you've seen us on Sky, we probably had a bottle of water next to us. But really, it was a it was a bottle of vodka hidden behind the big menu. Fantastic. Well, I think we could talk about nights out in Bristol or London or anywhere all night. And that's probably what people want to hear more about. But uh, just coming back to football for two minutes, Tony, strike partnerships at Bristol City. Um, pick a couple of your favourites. <coughs> um, oh, jeez. Uh, I didn't, I've just named my, um, I don't know if the guys know this, but I named my Best 11, not so long ago, that I've ever played with. And there was nobody up front for Bristol that I that I named, but obviously Bristol's I named team. these two. Yeah. I named Lewis, obviously one of the best centre-halves I've ever played with and right-back. And I, I obviously named Scotty as well in my team. But um, Bristol centre-forwards, I, I don't mean this in a disrespectful way, but I played with like Paul Furlong, Kevin Gallon, 
Jesus, John Hartson, Scott, lots of ex-players previous to them. And none of them really were any uh, nowhere near as good as them lot. But I'd have a favourite Bristol centre forward, probably Lee Peacock, really, for me. Um, but then I didn't always play well you, with Lee. Is that because you complimented each other or...? Uh, Lee, on his day, Lee was a... I mean, I don't know what Lewis and Scotty think, but Lee, Lee was a handful. If he was if he was at it, he was unplayable. But me personally, I mean, supporters will probably say the same thing about me, but I didn't see enough of Lee Peacock personally as a centre forward for Bristol that did as well as he should have done. Uh, people could say the same about me. But I, th- I felt that he could have done better with the, with the power and the strength that he had, so on and so on and so on. So the answer to your question is, I'd probably say Lee because um, I didn't play with Adiakin by much because obviously he started more games than me in the first year. Uh, I did okay with Lee Lee Matthews, Peter Beadle in certain games, but and then obviously Scotty played most of the games out on the right. But mm. I'd have to say not I would, not any of them really. Sorry for that. That's right. That's no, fine. Um, Lewis, coming to you, defensive partnerships. Obviously, you you were there for a number of years. Um, you must have players that you learned a lot from and then players that you built a natural relationship with. Yeah, I think I think natural relationship, that was that was that was the biggest thing for, for me. Um, if you could build relationships and partnerships within teams, I think you had something going. And for me, there was only two, and that was uh Sean Taylor, one one for him being a left-sided player, suited me. Two, he was big, strong, physical, dominant in the air. I wasn't, I couldn't get involved in, you know, fights and stuff like that. Mine was more playing out from the back or reading the game. You know, it wasn't my um, it wasn't my game to be trying to get caught up in, you know, tussles and muscling people out to like shout, you know, Lewis is up and drop off or try and step in front, things like that, um, or read balls into the channel. So Sean to play alongside was a dream for me because he would just go and head everything. He would go and head everything or go and tackle everything. And and being a lefty as well, there was a nice balance. Um, and the other was Jamie McComb. And even though Jamie McComb wasn't uh, a left side, again, very, very similar. Physically, he was like just this, this, this real strong, powerful man who could just hold people off. He could go and head everything. And the pair of them, there was a huge trust built between both of us that they knew that they could go and head the ball no matter what because they knew that I would cover them. If that if that makes sense, so yeah. there, there was a there was a trust there, and I think with the trust being there, that's what made those two. And interesting enough, those two partnerships got promoted with both of those. So um, I don't think there's any you know any coincidence in that. It says a lot um, in terms of yeah the unity there, and actually in the in the episode with Gary Arras and Rob Edwards, there was a great story about Sean Taylor because I asked the question, what was Sean Taylor like off the field? Because we only ever saw him as this warrior on the pitch. And Rob and, Rob and Gary came out with a story about Sean at a phone party, heading a disco ball, which was absolutely fantastic and something that I, I couldn't imagine. Were you there for that one, Liz? Yes, got you crossed it. <laughs> Usually my cross is in the, in the Atio, so it'd be the first one I've hit the target with. Brilliant. Yeah, no, fantastic. All right, Scotty, same question to you. Obviously, I know you're, um, you know, a man that uh, makes his own luck, plays down the wing, cuts in, scores goals. You must have had a, um, a sort of an understanding, a relationship with a player. I know, obviously, Tins probably picked you out quite a few times for, for some of those I mean, runs. Tins, Tins, Tins was a left footer, I think. 
intended that he used to come my way anyway. I think so. It was always it was always good for me, and and I think it's always nice <coughs> that don't like um, overlapping too much because the chances are that, that I wasn't the most defensive player. I remember Benny Lenartsen saying to me once, I think um, after a game, so it was funny because Benny Lenartsen was one of them. I think on a Monday we we got to Abbots Lee, and I think it was like I was a couple of times. I remember he he done one about Lewis as well, and I think he's 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 gone. He, he goes around the team, goes around the team picking lads. He said. I can't remember. We must have got beat. Must have got beat. And he's gone somewhere like Scotty. You're good, very going forward for us, but good going very forward for them. Which <laughs> meant I couldn't defend. And I remember there's another tip. Louis, was that was that one that he says to you? He's going round the team and everything. And then yeah, he's gone. He's, he's, huh? he's dug me out, hasn't he, for the Watford goal? He's he's yeah. having a go at me in the dressing room for the Watford goal. And I said, Gaffer, I can't believe you remembered that. Luke. Well, listen, this is the only reason I remember this was the kid. Go on, Luke. I've gone gaffer. I wasn't there. I was ill. <laughs> <laughs> and he's gone back. To, he's gone. That's why. Can you remember when he, Do you remember when he got us in the? When we've just been beat by Wolves at home. Fuck, was it six, six nil six or something? One. Six one. Well, I think we went one nil up. That was Matty <clears> Hill's <throat> debut because he was on the. I spoke to him the other day about it. Yeah, and we. Uh, we obviously Benny was a lovely man, by the way. He just really difficult to get his point point across to us. But one day he got us in a room, and we've, we've spoke about this many a time. And he got us all in a in a dressing room. We all sat down, and and, and like idiots, we all had little giggles. And li- me and Lewis were tapping each other and trying to make each other laugh. And then within <laughs> that five, makes me laugh because I can I can I can think five, he used to do as well. Within five minutes, he went. Right, so you've got to try and put your serious head on now because obviously Lewis might have been captain or wherever it was, but you have to put your serious head on for at least a couple of minutes. And this is no disrespect to Benny because he was generally a lovely guy. And he went, right, tomorrow we we play Port Whale. <laughs> right, my, my, my neck in my throat, right? You remember, do you remember the giggles? We were like... It was like a domino effect and the giggles just kept going around. <laughs> it was like, it was so hard to like detain ourselves that we were playing Port <laughs> Whale the next day. Right? Once you go, once funny. you go, once, once you go. Gone, it, it was unbelievable. But I always remember Lewis sitting just, I don't know if he was just over the other side of me. And I remember certain things in my career because I've had many a funny times, but I remember thinking, what this is sad because this guy's knowledgeable. He's done really well in Europe. But he just couldn't get his ideas across. And do you know what? We were partly to blame. I don't know if Lewis would agree with me. We we didn't give him... We probably didn't... I mean, we, we didn't go out and, and toss it off, as you say, because that's not what we do. But we didn't probably give him as much respect as he probably deserved. And we ended up getting relegated anyway that year. But, I mean, it wasn't partly down to Benny. Why? Um, but, yeah. He bless him. He just couldn't get his ideas across. I spoke to Joe and Danny Coles on the, uh, on the first... Uh, Robins reunited, and they both said that Benny Lenartson was a man with ideas before his time. Would, would you agree with that, Lewis? Do you want to talk about Benny? I, I would. I, I was I was just about to say. Then I, I remember the headline in the paper: the fans were kicking off because John Wood was successful, and then you had a chairman who was a um, an entrepreneur, very very successful. Um, supported his local club and really wanted to push the club forward. Spent a lot of money in the summer, you know, a lot of shit. But spent a lot of money in the summer. <laughs> yeah, he bought me and all. <laughs> yeah, he bought me as well. Shit, that was like maybe I can buy it. How much did he buy you for, Fletch? He was never any good, that Eddie Akiba. I remember him, 
I remember Patch, right, playing my first game with him. We got beat in there. Was it Lushin Gladbach? And we played him in a friendly. We got beat 5 0. I don't think I touched it. He must have ran past me, right, about 18 times, closing fullbacks down. And in the end, I went, Addy, you need to slow down. So, I was like, you got to slow down, mate. You can't keep running past me. It was my first, it was my debut. We got beat 5 0. I don't think I touched the ball. I don't think I, I, I touched the ball. But, but is it, it like, so Scott Davison owned Trade It, didn't he? Mm. He, he yeah. put four P and trade it the next day. <laughs> you <laughs> what a rid of him watching Addy doing things <laughs> off. Lewis, but, can can you remember what the what the trade it advert said? Um, <laughs> Fletch, <laughs> hashtag. It was before hashtags on it. <laughs> hashtag Fletch must go. Time's up. Addy's <laughs> run by him eighteen times. But, it was, uh, yeah. um, but no, going back to Benny. So the headline in the paper was something along the lines of if Arsenal can do it with Arsene Wenger. We can do it with Benny and, and and Scott Davison was looking ahead, and and I got to be brutally honest. I thought Benny Lennartson had the most amazing ideas. You know, he he'd he'd bring you in um he'd bring you in at times on a Wednesday, and he'd have me running backwards down a hill and throwing a ball, and I got to head it back up the hill, and it was like bizarre stuff. But it was he, he just wanted to make you better, and I thought he would looking at academies now. I thought he would be an amazing academy coach for like for young lads. Um, but he he was he, he was a brilliant he was a brilliant man and like Forpy said we had a real mix of players at that time, and it was um, a crossover of the previous three managers. There was a lot going on at the club, and it, and it became a little bit messy in the end that season. Um, but even Benny after the six one loss at home, you know we lost five on the week before, didn't we at Bradford? And he had to go at me and Scotty for playing pool in the morning. That was the reason we lost. I remember, I remember, I remember the, the coach driver got lost and the wait took us nine hours to get there. He took us to Manchester, didn't he, in the morning for the game as well. But the, the Wolves game, we're walking off patch after the game and Benny used to sign his hat and throw it into the crowd, didn't he? Funniest thing I've ever seen. When Forpy talks about laughing, we've just been beat five on away and six on at home. Benny signed his hat, threw it in the crowd. He's walking down a tunnel and it comes back the side and it's him in the side of the end. And I'm behind him trying not to... That's the amazing thing about, about Benny Lenartson because if you mention it to, to most City fans... They would just remember him for not not being successful. But every player I speak to says that he was, you know, as I said, a man before his his time. I really liked him. Honestly, I really oh, liked him. It was yeah, just the championship and the knowledge of English football and the the volume of players we had at the time and the lack of um, somebody coming in with him. I think was the I um, think he needed the re- I think, reason it didn't um, work. I think Lewis is right. He wouldn't need if he did. I can't remember who his assistant was at the time. But it, Terry, Terry Connor, Connor, Terry Connor I mean, I like Terry Connor. Terry Connor's a great guy. He's obviously done really well with Mick McCarthy. But um, Terry's a really good coach. But even Terry felt within a little bit like, you know, we, we can't really help you here. And it, and it just didn't work. And it was such a shame because if it had somebody probably a bit stronger willed or a little bit more aggressive towards the players, we may have got something out of that season. But... I think everybody speaks highly of him because generally you do as a footballer, you're not stupid. If you're a good guy and you don't do well, you don't slaughter that person. You still say, you know, it didn't work. He was a good guy. If you're a good manager and you treat people bad and you get the sack, you generally think, well, he was an arsehole anyway. And I've thought that many a time. I've had be- I've had better managers than Benny Lenartson and terrible managers, but the terrible managers have treated you well and got sacked and you actually tip your hat off and go, you know what, you've treated the players well. You're a good coach, you know, but unfortunately things haven't worked out well. So you, mm. it's 
players and players are not stupid. They know exactly how to work you out. Mm. I just want to touch on, um, so Scott and Lewis have both got something in common, and it's the fact that uh, they they lost their way for a year in terms of Bristol City. And I just want to touch on this, and I may be being facetious when I say you lost your way. Scott, to you first, your, your um, hiatus to Reading, signing under Alan Pardew, what was what was your thoughts behind that? Was it did you think that your Bristol City career was over? Did were you ever expecting to come back? Talk us through that sort of nine month period. I I I, I'd, um, I remember Steve Lansdowne. He's um the whole the whole you know what the whole summer, my agent at the time who was an absolute belter. He he must have phoned me daily asking me to ask for a transfer request, ask for a transfer request, ask for. And I'm like, it was never it was never ever going to happen because. I had two young kids are from Bristol. Whatever was going to happen, I was going to be living in Bristol when I finished playing anyway. So I, I, there was no way I was going to hand that transfer request in a million years. And I think I remember, I remember um, me and Steve Lansdowne ended up meeting, I think it was the, the pub, you know, the pub by the Gordano Services. It's the last pub on the right-hand side towards the Gordano Services. I can't remember what it's called. George? Is it the George? I don't know. So as you you can see the good, you can see the big roundabout and the pubs on the right hand side. But it's like um, so maybe just having a chat and he was like, you know what, Scott, you've got a, you've got a year left in your contract. There's nothing really we can do. I read and have offered this money for you. But that was it. That was it, more or less done. And I remember um I remember um signing and the, the first we went away. And listen, Alan Pardew was class. I I, I loved every minute with him. Great dancer. Listen, yeah, and he probably comes across really arrogant and whatever. Yes, and I could dance. And, and you know what? He was class. And, and I remember we went away. I might have been Sweden or somewhere on, on tour. And I remember, I think his missus might be Swedish or something. I don't know. I, I, I say Sweden. That's a, that's a guess. It's one of them kind of countries. And we, he's called us all into the <clears throat> into the foyer, as they call it. I call it reception area. So he's called us into the foyer. So there was about 25 of us. He goes, right, lads, listen, the one rule we got on this trip Tonight, if anyone's back before five a.m., you find. <laughs> and I'm like, oh fuck me! I've seen for the right club here, then ever. So like, and you know what? He was class, and I, 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 I probably played most of the games under him. He ended up going to West Ham, and then Steve Cottle came in, and and his flat said, "Listen, managers have got different ideas. Different managers have got different ideas." And I remember the the day when I come back, I think I'd, I'd played a resi game for uh, the obviously Reading and. I think we, we must have, I think I scored a couple of goals and and um and one and uh, Nick, Nicky Hammond's phoned me, the the director of sport, saying, Scotty, listen, the gaffer's gonna phone you. And I've been saying, Yeah, yes. And so I honestly thought this is how good my agent was. I'd never fucking heard anything about Bristol City coming back in for me or anything like that. And um Nick, so the, the Steve Coppers phoned me, he goes, All right, Scotty. So I honestly thought he was gonna say, Well done for yesterday, you're gonna be starting on Saturday. I honestly thought that. And um, it was that transfer deadline day. And, he goes, Scotty, listen, well done yesterday. Class. He goes, eh, by the way, um, Bristol City have come back in for him. We've accepted a bid. And I went, oh, all right, okay. And he goes, to be fair, if it, I'm going to tell you now, we've already signed Glenn Little in your position for next season. So the chances are you probably won't play much. And I thought, you know what, actually, it was nice of him to be honest with me because the last thing you want to do, I was probably nearly 30 or late 20s. Mm. The last thing you want to be doing at any age anyway is to, to be sitting on the bench doing nothing. So I was actually quite quite happy that he's if he's honest with me. And then as I said, I was I was driving straight, but I'd only been in my house a couple of months, I think. Oh, so you actually moved, did you? I bought a house in Hungerford. So 
right. I think, um, as I said, I was in there a, a few months and then I obviously had to up roots again. So right. it was all right. Fantastic to get to get back down to Bristol City. Um, Lewis, question for you then. Um, obviously, you moved off to went to Coventry for for just around a year. What was the what's the story behind that? Obviously, it was a was it progression to the league above? I thought when you when you said that me and Scotty had something in common, I thought you were going to say you've seen us out Saturday night with the same well that same I outfit have. two weeks I on have, the trot. But, but yeah, <laughs> cream shirt, cream shoes. Um, now mine was slightly different, so. Danny Wilson had been here four years and the, the, the last two years of, of his reign, we were really successful as in we won the LDV. We finished third twice and uh, scored a hundred goals. One of those years and we had a lot of points in the league. And I think we missed out on going up in the top two <coughs> by a point or something. And, um, and we lost to Brighton in the playoff final. And it was probably the one game that season that we just didn't turn up. You know, the pitch didn't suit us. It was, the grass was long and, it was a it was a bobbly surface. It was a rugby pitch at the end of the day, and they were having the, all the playoffs and and it just didn't it just didn't work on the day. And we got beat one 0 a last minute penalty. And 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 after the game, all the boys felt that something was going to happen. That if we didn't do it that year, the gaffer was going to go. Mm. And it was it was really odd, and it was something that none of us wanted and we didn't like. Um, that we didn't uh, wouldn't have liked to happen. Sorry, and um. Anyway, a couple of days later, I remember uh, Danny Wilson ringing me and said that he was going. And we had nine players out of contract that year. And I think I think about eight left in the end. And the club were just, uh, for me personally, said, you know, it was a, I would have had to submit like a, I think it was like a 40% pay cut. And I didn't sort of, I didn't agree with it at the time. I felt like I was one of the better performers. Um and I didn't want to move and they knew I, that I was happy and that I wanted to get where I wanted to get with this club. That, that was where I loved playing football. That's where I felt it my freest. That's where I, I felt I played my best football. That's where I enjoyed it the most. Um, and I felt a connection with the fans in the club and I wanted to stay. And, and the, you know, I think they knew that. So, you know, saying it was a 40% pay cut, it wasn't, it wasn't going to happen. And then there was an opportunity to go Coventry. Now, you know, Peter Reid had just done amazing things with Sunderland. They were a team that had just come down from the Premier League, I think, a year before. And it was playing championship football with some with some excellent players. So it was another it was another learning opportunity and a, an opportunity to try and get back, you know, or try and get to the Premier League. I wanted to do it with Bristol City, but it, you know, with with this scenario, it was it was an opportunity to maybe do it somewhere else. Um I went, I signed, um, and for whatever reasons, that time of my career or my life, the situation I was in at the time, it just didn't work. It just didn't work. I loved the people there. Um, I enjoyed the football. Um, I did whether it was putting on the blue shirt or what, I don't know, but something just didn't, something just didn't feel right or didn't quite work. Um, and Brian Tinian was the manager at the time. He didn't want me to go. And, um, very similar to Scotty's situation. Peter Reid got the sack. Uh, Mickey Adams came in. And Mickey Adams, the first thing he said to me was, um, you know, I've heard that, you know, Bristol were, were, were interested in taking you back and you weren't going to be in his plans. And that was probably the only manager that I've had whose plans I wasn't in, but also who was, um, it was very good from him, sorry, to, to, to be upfront and honest. And and it just, it just fit and it worked. It worked for me to... Um, to go back and, like I said, do what I love doing, where I love doing it. Brilliant. Uh, it's a great story. And, and I don't know of many other players that have moved 
away from Bristol City and come back. I can't think of any others off the top of my head other than you two. Can, can you? Not, not off the top of my head. No, it was a. Mine was only like a six-month period, and I think yeah, Scotty's was was similar. So it didn't, yeah. it didn't seem like it. It didn't seem, it didn't seem crazy. And I think people have probably gone clubs, left clubs in the past couple of years, and come back at the end of their career, whether it's to try and you know last few quid or something or sentimental. Yeah. But we were still, we were still sort of in our prime at the time. Mm, okay. Um, I just want to touch on your testimonial as well, Lewis. The uh, the game against Rovers. Uh, did you, what in terms of a testimonial do you do you pick the the opposition and the players that play and things like that how does that work yeah there, there was there was there was lots of there was lots of talk about it being glasgow rangers at the time because of Derek McInnes. um there was lots of talk about just getting like a, a you know an elect 11 to play against us so all the best players that we would have played with in the past so you know forpy would have been up top with I don't know, Forpy, with the list you reeled off a minute ago, been, Forpy would have been up front on his own. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't want anybody near me, Lou. I don't like people. <laughs> no, no. Um, yeah, so, they, you know, it, it was um, it was either a select 11 or it was going to be Glasgow Rangers. or But the issue was, like, cost in finance. And, you know, the, the bills I got, the, the you know, for, you know, cleaning cleaning toilet bills and the policing bill because it was Bristol Rovers was and bearing in mind I was given a huge percentage to charity and 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 I thought it was I thought it was poorly um supported and poorly managed by by the club bearing in mind what I was doing with a lot of the money and in the end it had to come out you know we had to raise ticket prices and we were never going to have a sellout against Bristol Rovers you know at a time of year a lot of people are away so um, the policing bill was absolutely astronomical, and in the end, it was um, limited funds that went to the the charities that I was supporting. But the actual event and the people that helped to organise it for me, the committee that helped to organise it, you know, people like Chris Badfield and Dave Fear, who's recently passed, just the most amazing people who love the club and love anything that or any player that's been associated with the club. The job they did to put you know a derby game together was was excellent. In memories that I'll um, you know have forever. Brilliant. Excellent. Okay. Um, and obviously your 646th appearance on De- in December 2013 and achieving that. How, what does that mean to you to be the, re- the record appearance holder for Bristol City? Well, first off, I actually felt like I should have got it way before then. I, I thought I could have helped out, you know, the club when Sean O'Driscoll was there. I thought I could have helped out more and, you know, played a, played a lot more games that season. But when Steve Cottrell came in, you know, the first thing he said to me was, "Was don't worry, we'll um we'll make it happen. You're going to be part of my plans to the end of the season at least, um, and you'll be involved in games." So um, it was a little bit of a weight off your shoulders, knowing that something was going to happen, or or when I don't, I I wasn't aware of when, um, you know, and that's something I'll be forever thankful for him for giving me that opportunity to to do that. But I think the bigger picture to to beat the record of someone like John Attio, I I don't like whatever I want to say. I still see like myself in um, what I achieved sort of here, but what he achieved, you know, right up right up at the top. You know, he's scoring three hundred and something goals in six hundred odd appearances, and you know, playing for England and stuff like that. You know, that's that's way ahead of what I've achieved. So to beat his appearance record, I think was a yeah a huge honour for me. No, oh, brilliant, Scott Murray testimonial. When's it going to happen? When? When? 
When is it going to happen? Just leave me alone. Right, so Scott, Scott Murray, Scott Murray turns fifty in twenty twenty four. Bristol City. Do they do Bristol- Kitman testimonials though? <laughs> was it twelve years? Buster got one, didn't yeah. he? Yeah, true. Buster got one. Yeah, there you go. So, you, maybe you ought to wear some shorts to games more often. So Buster had, Buster had better gear than Scotty as well. To be oh, fair. Every, everyone I've spoken to has got a story about Buster. Let's do your Buster stories, right? First of all, uh, Tony, oh. have you got a Buster Footman story? They use the same toothpaste. Uh, listen, Buster was. Um, I haven't got many stories. Obviously, when I came in '98, he was a big part of the physiotherapy uh, kit. Man, he had, a, he, had a, he was a master of all trades. Um, but he he was just such a great guy. I was devastated to hear the news last year about obviously him passing away. Um, but I don't think there's anybody um, in the last twenty odd years that's known Buster wouldn't say a great word about that great man. Um, but if you're asking me if he was a good physio, no. If you're asking me if he was a good fit man, uh, kit man, probably no. But do you know what? He was just an amazing, amazing person. Um, he could put his hand. To, he could put his hand to anything, Buster. But I see. I, I'm all about good people in my life, especially as I'm getting a bit older. And when I look back in my career and see all the physios, I had all the kit people, all the all these people with titles that literally just complicate things. Buster didn't complicate things. If you if you had an injury, just bring you some water over you. <laughs> <laughs> and say it's like, you, know what, you know what Buster, Buster bless him you know what he was get up and get on with it he was one of them he used to come in and he'd, he'd be playing fuck, uh, roll out the barrel and in songs like that you know he's all the old Darmy and RAF songs and and listen he was he was just great to be around and I think I remember Dr Daz as well the, the two of them were like um, like uh, the Chuckle Brothers honestly it was brilliant it was, it was pure class and I remember obviously Buster couldn't really run but I think you see him run on the pitch, he's brilliant. He, and he always <clears> had his teeth. White Scott, are you fucking you know, he's like that. And and um he's a big season to run up the Williams stand, but hobbling and, and listen, he was an absolute right, great man. you know what the, the amount of money he probably raised for yeah. charity as well. Yeah, I think he sprinted up Kilimanjaro. I don't know. I've never I've never had it of all the doctors we've had at football clubs, me. So <laughs> I think I I think I've had nine league clubs or whatever it is. I've had obviously doctor every club. He's the only doctor that nearly ran me over once. <laughs> <laughs> I was walking along Raxall around the back of where I lived, um, near, not far from Lewis, or about ten minutes from Lewis or wherever it was. And this Mercedes came towards me, right, and I had to jump. You gotta remember, this is my our oh, doctor. I had to jump into the bushes to get out of the way of him. I thought he was gonna kill me. And yeah. I, well, anyway, I, I addressed this situation the next day. He said he didn't see me. Because he was smoking. <laughs> hey, I remember Doctor Daz. Right, we went to we went to Marbella or something because we uh, we must have won something or done really well. Doctor Daz stood by the pool. It's a hundred degrees with a police on having a flag. <laughs> Honestly, we're that Daz. Docs, what are you doing? And did I? Did I? I've got to tell you this. Did I hear the story right that he he smoked on an aeroplane? They had to stop the aeroplane or something. Is that correct? Yeah, he was having was a cigarette smoking. in the toilet. Oh my God. <laughs> what a guy he is he was. Still, is he still alive? No, he passed away a few years ago, but he was another one. It was like uh, any little, like if you had a little niggle on your knee or your, your thought, he'd jab you, jab, jab, jab you. 
Yeah, listen, we'll do our job. We're fine. He prolonged prolong Lewis's career. Lewis was done 15, yeah. 20 I've years. I've never seen anyone jab some, somebody so much about him. Honestly, no, Mike Tyson. I think I think what people are in our generation and even the generation before us, just great people, just normal people. That's what they are. Not like he said at the start of this conversation. Everybody's got an, an iPad now and they're, tick, they're a tick list. That's all they are. They're a tick list personality. We we got, you know, Buster wouldn't be wouldn't be afraid to grab you by the throat if you'd done something wrong. They're, they're, they're a proper genuine Absolutely. good guy. Yeah. You know I mean? Both, both. Um, I think it was Gary Arras said that there was a line with Buster that you knew not to cross. In he, terms he, of, yeah, he, he would jab you, but not with a not with an injection. He would literally jab you. He would. Absolutely, Lewis. Wow. You must have some Buster stories. I think I think they've um, Dorpy and Scotty have just touched on it. His charity work, what he did for people to support and help <laughs> people, was incredible. Um, I, I just remember being youth team players and he just, he, he'd get you in a room in like the old boot room and he'd just turn the lights off. He'd just come in with his boxing gloves on. Honestly, he'd just smash the shit out of you just to toughen you up as a, as a young kid and then turn the light on and it was all that what Scotty did, like, hey, find it. Yeah. Um, all that stuff. And you just give him stick about being in the Marines, you know, and he'd shoot you down because it was the Royal Marines and stuff. And, um, and 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 the, the the year we got promoted, it was Southend away, Scotty. The first when he put those songs on, um, oh, and then we had them. The year we got, yeah. So <laughs> that that was it. It was the war songs for a whole year, but it you got know, promoted. You know, he kept playing them. Probably that trip. If me and Lewis have probably gone down for a breakfast. Buster's down there at like seven in the morning eating kippers. Honestly, <laughs> at seven o'clock in the morning eating kippers before a game like that. For fuck's sake! And then he come over and try and speak to you. <laughs> yeah, what nice, what nice though. Then when you bang your head, and he was doing like the ultrasound on your face after eating kippers. <laughs> I, I tell you what, though, he never. Walk you up yet. Bless him. Honestly, I can't, I can't ever remember it. I mean, I only had four years at Bristol. Um, I can never ever remember a, a crossword with Buster at all. Even when I was a nightmare, and I was really difficult to deal with as a as a pro because I was quite. Larry, I was brass. I was, you know, I was confident. Buster was just brilliant. He, he, I never had a crossword with him. You know, he, he was just such a great guy. He really did generally upset me when I'd obviously heard of his passing. But and even more so that I wouldn't have, hundred percent would have come to the to the funeral. But uh, no, great memories of Buster. Great memories. Brilliant. Uh, what an amazing man he was. He was an amazing man. Brilliant. Yeah, they don't, they don't they don't make him like that anymore. Um, okay, we're coming coming to to the end now, unfortunately. But um, I just want to touch on sort of your your exits from Bristol City. Um, starting with you, Tony. You left in two thousand and two <coughs> under Danny Wilson. Uh, where where did you go from at that point, and and, and why? Okay, so. I'd had a bit of stick. If, if I'm honest, uh, people have asked me on numerous interviews, what's your biggest regret? And I haven't got no regrets in football, but I did have one particular. So I didn't. I, I don't have multiple regrets. Lots of players go, oh, well, I shouldn't have done this. I, shouldn't. I think the biggest thing for me was Steve Lansdowne pulled me in to his, um, his office and obviously said my contract had ended so that I'd been there four years and, and offered me a deal. And I felt that I was worth more than the deal um, because whoever he was going to bring in ahead of me probably wouldn't have 
guaranteed him 15, 20 goals that season. Um, so he offered me a contract and then I got a late call from my old club, Luton Town, which was Joe Kinnear and Mick Arford. And because I was a free, they'd obviously offered me a real good package to go. Now, in particular, that particular time, just briefly, I got a lot of stick because Bristol hadn't performed very well. Even myself, I haven't played great that year. I think I'm, I still finished with something like 20 goals or something, but I hadn't had a great season compared to my standards. Um, I got a lot of stick from the social media in them time, and obviously it would be even worse now, but in them days, it was just like Scotty said, forums and stuff like that. I got a lot of stick and I felt like I'd got a lot of blame from us failing. <clears throat> and partly that's definitely true. I probably did deserve some of the stick. And I just felt that I'd been, Luton was a club that I'd been previously. Uh, I knew Joe Kinnear and Mick really well. Um, and it is quite ironic, really, because I only had one year back at, at Luton and then ended up going to QPR for two years. So, you know, that that's my biggest regret is definitely leaving Bristol um, as a football club and especially my friends, i.e. these two guys and some of the other guys that I'd met, you know, within those four years. That was my hardest decision, leaving the guys really more than leaving the club because mm. the club will never, the club stays there long before I'm gone and everybody else is gone. So but that that would be the biggest regret was leaving Bristol at that time. Um, and what was your original first question? Sorry, Patch. Yeah, no, just the reason yeah, you've covered it really, just in terms of where, where you went and why you went. So you've, you, you've covered, you've covered that, I think. Um, but yeah, I, I was, as you said, you know, it was your, it was your decision at the time and you, you can't look back, can you? Absolutely not. You've got to move forward. Yeah. Brilliant. Okay. Um, come on to Lewis. Obviously Lewis, you retired um, with, with Bristol city. Do you want to just um, tell us, you know, about that retirement and then, that that adjustment to not playing football week in week out and and how how you reacted to that? Yeah, mine mine was there, there was a lot going on in the last sort of three four years of my career. You know, I think about probably ten years ago now I've fractured my skull and I had a lot of like depression after that. Um, and because you were signing sort of one year contracts, when you've got the depression and you're under the sort of the stresses we are to perform and to look after yourself and to be ready. Um, you know, it's mentally a challenge for me all, all, all the time. Um, being sort of 37 at the time, um, looking after my body. Um, and I, I think we'd all say we, we all miss it hugely. You, you know, we can't replace it. But I don't like the I don't miss the, the fact of having to look after myself like I did, especially towards the end of my career. Um, I'd had last two years, I wasn't on, you know, I was on good money to the general public, but not for what, you know, I'm sat in a bath next to people earning 10 times what I'm on. Um, you know, again, I thought, well, that was disrespectful and not right, but um, it was what it was and it was the way it was. And, um, you know, I've sort of moved on and let it go now, but at the time it, at the time it hurt. Um, and then when I first left, the, pre the last two years, I was sort of playing in the first team, training with the first team, but also doing bits like supporting the young lads coming through, playing for like what would be the B team or the 21s. And I actually really enjoyed that side of it. It was um, it was something that I never thought I would enjoy, you know, playing in the reserve team games later on in your career. But because I knew what the purpose of it was, um, you know, and the why and everything, then I, um, you know, I, I got something out of it. And yeah, it, I think, was I going to go down the leagues? 
no, I was I wasn't going to go traveling an hour or two hours to go and play um, and not be able to offer a manager a full commitment. Mm. So um, so I decided to play for Shepter Mallet for eight games instead. But well, even before then, I had six I had six months out. I just wanted away from football. I was I was I was like fed up of the the noise. I was fed up of the egos and materialism of football. Do you know what I mean? I'd had enough of all of that side of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I couldn't stand the fact the players earning what they were earning, moaning about stuff when you're getting paid to be out in the fresh air doing what you love doing, playing football. Mm-hmm. It was just something that really sort of got to me and frustrated me. Um, so I was happy to take a year out. I did a year's charity work. Um, and within that year, I had Sean Donnelly from the Three Lions pub ringing me and asking me to come and play with um, with Scotty in the pub team. And it and it was it was interesting. Now I played a couple of games and absolutely just reignited the love for football back in me. Right. Um, so then played you know eight games for Shepter Mallet. And the reason I played the eight games was because uh, when I did my charity work, um, the owner and, and Andy Jonah, the the owner of Flower Vision, who who was manager at Shepter Mallet, you know he um, he supported my charity work. So I um, the, the favour was that when I retire, I'll go and play some games for him. That's brilliant. That is awesome. And 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 Andy Andy Jones is is going to come on the podcast and do a, a post match reaction um, in a, in a few weeks' time. And as you say, yeah, great, great, great guy. Um, oh, amazing bloke. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Um, we'll come on to what you're doing now in a second, Lewis. Um, Scott, for you, uh, released um, in two thousand and nine. I've got written here. What what was the what was the end of that? I ended up going to uh, Yeovil for a season. And um, I always remember my... See, I always remember the first day there, Nathan Jones, I think um, I've signed. Nathan Jones, obviously, the manager of Luton now. Um, I've turned up, and Jones, he's come in with his Brighton shirt because he played left-back when they beat us in the, the horrendous playoff final. So that was, um, that was, that was me happy straight away. I think, um, as I said, I went to Yeovil for a year, really enjoyed it, loved it. And then, as Lewis says, when you get when you get to your to your mid thirties, I think it's you know, but the the motivation the motivation is probably still there. But you know what it is? It's you're getting up in the morning after a game on Saturday and Tuesday, Wednesday, your legs are still hanging off. You literally your body's broken, and I think people tend to forget. Do you know what the amount of miles and and things you, your body's probably went through in the last 15, 16 years of playing professional football? And I think, uh, as you said, it'd be getting to Wednesday. And, and you're probably still walking with a little limp, and I think, um, and you, you, you're trying to get yourself up for the game. And I think, and then I, it, it was really tough. And then I think after after Yeovil, I think I probably knew my um, professional. I was, I was probably 35, I think, by then. I probably knew that there was going to be the end. And then I ended up signing for Bath City, which I was working full time at the the commercial department at, at Ashton Gate and playing part time there. And I, and I always remember the first summer because. Because obviously my whole career, I'd, I was lucky enough to be a full-time professional. And, and obviously at Bath City, it's part-time. So, like, um, obviously you get paid you get paid monthly. Or Was that um, AD Britain? AD Britain, yeah. Always and I always remember, right, so, so the season, for example, had finished in May. So that, I'm, I'm sent at home waiting for my June, June wage packet. Nothing come in. And I'm like, fuck, what's happening here? So I phoned up Adi, he goes, listen, Adi, listen, mate, says, um, my wages ain't going in. He started laughing. I went, what's wrong? He goes, listen, mate, part-time, mate, you don't get paid in the summer. I went, what? I never had a, fuck, I never had a fucking clue. 
I didn't sell my body for the rest of the next six weeks. Honestly, I never got paid nothing. <laughs> so like May and June, never got a penny. I was picking strawberries for two pound upon it. But it's like uh, it's stuff like that. And it's said uh, the two years there was, was class. And then as I was working in the commercial department, and then, and then all of a sudden I, I got a phone call from Derek McInnes saying, "Listen, Scotty, the, the kit man's leaving. Do you more or less fancy it?" And and you know I was I was I was waiting to turn thirty seven, and um, I was on my way to St George the 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 the, the kids training place. I said, listen, Gav, can I phone you back tomorrow? I'll make a, make a decision. And, and you know what? I think um, the fact that I was nearly 37 and mm. and I'd been offered a chance to, to work full-time at the club and doing... doing and you know what? The kit man job is probably ideal for me because it's... Um, listen, you're getting paid to take the piss out of people. But don't get don't get me wrong. It's a, it's a, it's a stressy job at times. It's long hours. And um, as I said, but it's, you know what? It's something I really enjoy doing. And, and um, I think uh, me... And, and you probably need a bit of banter as well, I think, to to, to do the job. And I think because um, that's one thing that one thing that players uh, miss is that changing room banter. And obviously, you've still got that, haven't you? Uh, yeah, yeah. Nads, you know what? And I think um, I, I I think I find it tough. If I'd completely stopped, I, would, I think I'd find it horrendously tough. And I think it's even now this these lockdowns have been because I live by myself, and and you know what? There's times you're sitting in your, your place, and you know what? It's hard work. I think people <clears> think it's all nice and easy and stuff. I mean, the lockdown's been horrendous, and, and especially the, this last third one, it's been it's been tough. And I think, um, as I said, the quicker we can we can all get back out and socialise with people and and see friends and family, it's the the quicker the better. And it's, do you know what these these Zoom calls have been actually quite good, and you know it's good for all our mental health. And I think, and, and as I said, it's. Um, no, it's been it's been tricky all through yeah. lockdown. Before we touch on uh, the Zoom calls you've been doing, um, obviously your your role on a match day is not only to to sort the kit out, but it's to entertain the fans on away days at, uh, before kickoff, kicking the balls into into the crowd. It's uh, it's what some of the fans go away, mate, just to catch a ball from you. you know what, I, it's you know what, it's they, the usual. That's that, that was Saturday for twenty years. <laughs> I, know. I know. Yeah, I used to kick in the stands all the time. I was just thinking, I was thinking the, the way it started off was, I mean, it was like literally five minutes before the game, right? And our, our fans are quiet as fuck. And I'm thinking, you know what? I'm going to try and liven them up. So I, I, I literally just started putting balls at the crowd. Kicking I the did, balls I, at their faces. I know, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I literally did four or five. And then the next game, they'd all be shouting for the ball again. And then, then, then I had to stop because... I fucking fell over a bag of balls in front of everybody. Oh, I remember that. I was there. Yeah, I fell over. And you know, I thought, listen, Scotty, you're, you're nearly 50. Give that a rest. So, and, and, and you know what? I remember we played Newcastle away and the fans were shouting me to kick it in. And at Newcastle, you're literally, I don't know if Fletch told you, Fletch has scored there. But at Newcastle, <laughs> you're literally up in the, the heavens. Yeah. <laughs> they tried to shout me. So, you know what? I, I did one and it didn't even go fucking a quarter of the way up. I thought, nah, that's it. Scotty, you're done. <clears throat> you lost that ball. That ball was never to be seen again. <laughs> um, but obviously you mentioned the Zoom calls. Everyone knows that you are you will literally get behind charity requests um, via Twitter and this lockdown obviously the zoom calls is something that you've been getting involved with and dragging current players in as well to speak to speak to kids and different groups the thing is you know what the, the zoom calls i think they're probably more more for my own mental health i think more than anything again as i said i was stuck at home by myself and and um it was just you know what i put a tweet out saying listen 
there's any local football teams fancy a chat or or a laugh and a joke and a question. I'm, I was up for it, and you know what? I ended up ended up doing like two a night for for the first three weeks. And actually, do you know what? I passed the time, and it actually made me laugh. I was probably having a better laugh than the kids were doing. So do you know what? It probably helped me more than anybody this, this last lockdown. So, and then the, the the worst thing I probably done was probably agreed to go and take an hour training session with every fucking single bunch of them. So now, now the lockdown, now the lockdown is probably nearing an end. I'm gonna be the next fucking sixty days or so. I'm gonna be every night. I'm gonna be doing a session with a different kids team. <laughs> And you obviously you still you, you mentioned about stopping playing football and the aches and pains, but you you know I know we we're a bit different times at the moment, but you're still playing football. We got five aside on a Monday night, which you know you, yeah, you I, do, I do Monday night be our bunch yeah. hashtag team and Joe Burnell, who I've never seen anyone do so many st- step overs, not very quick step overs, but disappointed because obviously it was a first game back on Monday, and um, I obviously Bozzy's name wasn't down in the team. So I try to FaceTime him quite a lot of times to find out that he was on the golf course. <laughs> so he's not really taken the football season season that um, series, which was disappointing. Club captain and as well. Club captain. And listen, I, there, there should be rep, repercussions. I think there needs to be a fine. I thought I'd take the easy way out and go and goal this week to ease myself back in, but I was more up and down like a Western donkey. Yeah, it was a, yeah, I remember 4-0 down after about two minutes. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay, let's go on to Tony. Tony, uh, tell us what you're up to these days. How do you how do you feel your time? Well, obviously, I've got three boys. Um, so I spend obviously a lot of time with those. But in the terms of work, I I was in recruitment for te- well nearly ten years now. So as business development manager, and I've come away from that for the first time since I retired from football. Um, I run my own business now, so I work. Um, my company's called Okie Dokie Bespokey, which is quite a catchy little number. So, uh, put a long story short, we make wooden early years wooden creations for everybody, all preschools and nurseries and play groups around the UK. So, just we've just gotten in the under fives magazine that goes to seventeen thousand um, around the UK. Um, it's absolutely flying. I'm so happy, but. Uh, it took me a year to build it, and then now, obviously, we're reaping the rewards for it. But I absolutely love it. So the website um, is is obviously been formed since the fourth of January. So my own company is is doing really well, and it's the first time I've. It was a bit nerve wracking coming away from recruitment because I've been in it for so long. But um, now I've started on my own. I've come completely away from recruitment and just done something that I wanted to do for myself. I wanted to be my own boss, basically, so I can go down and see the boys in Bristol and go and just have play golf or play a lot of golf at the moment just well not only just sorry but yeah just yeah pre- yeah obviously ah, since they opened yeah. but, but uh, previous to that I just wanted a bit more time to myself and I was working kind of eight till six every day in my job and you don't get a lot of flexible time to spend with your kids and so on and so on but that that's kind of what I'm doing but yeah any um any kind of preschools or nurseries in Bristol which there will be millions um Give me a shout if you need us to, to make you anything. We're, we're, basically, we make natural wood, so everything's wood. Brilliant. Okay, well, yeah, send me the, the links to the website. I'll send you the link, yeah. yeah. We'll put it in the episode notes. And Lewis, um, under-16s coach at Southampton, I understand. 18s now, so yeah, gone all the way from under-9s <laughs> up to up to under-18, so it's been a steady sort of progression from the last probably five years, five, five and a bit years. 
and it's just it's just the most amazing football club with the most amazing people. Um, is, that, is that with the same players moving up through the ranks with the same players or? No, sorry. So I would have um, I, w- I worked with the nines, tens, and elevens for about eighteen months, and that was literally, you know, like so. An example would be someone like someone like Forpy would be, um, you know, you say like the fox in the box, and he doesn't like it. Yeah, don't like because, it. Don't mention that. No, and the reason probably being, and and rightly so, is that people think you just stand in the box, and you know, because Thorpe wasn't all about the noise, you know, charging around everywhere that at times fans like. They don't see like the subtlety and the clever movements and you know the clever touches and the clever link play and the the clever little double runs off it. All these little bits, right? They, people people don't see that, do they? Um, and I think that's why at times they think he just stands in the box and puts a puts a ball in the goal. You know, it's the hardest thing to do try, trying to coach it to people. But what I was going to lead on to is that how, how do you coach that to someone? Like how do I coach to someone that you read the game? I could tell the lads, oh, you got to stand there. How, why are they never there? Do you get what I mean? So for me, it was a, it was learning the trade of how to coach. And one of the things that I just, I can't stand is how um, ex-players got an expectancy that they just go in at the, at the top level and coach it. Coach. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. You have to learn the trade. And then if you want to be a manager, you're going to have to learn that trade as well. Um, so there's so much involved with regards to the boys' mental states, their growth and everything. But it's the most, yeah, it's the most challenging but amazing amazing football club to um to work for presumably working quite closely with uh the guest on the last episode dave horseman yeah dave dave's a dave's a, a brilliant person um always got like people it is it is in his heart and it is best interest um football coach like top top level top level um and does the most amazing job with the with the B team under real tough circumstances at the moment that we faced this year with regards to one one the COVID setup, but also um, you know the type of squads that we've had at Southampton this year with lads playing up. So when lads are playing up, and you know he's he's got a lot of 18s and so on in a in a B team squad that are playing 23 year olds, it is challenging. It is really challenging and trying to coach you know the clubs the clubs new way under Ralph Hassan who um. And it's it's an amazing way. Um, a lot of the stuff like it's against the ball and just trying to change the mentality of players. And yeah, he's a he's top level coach. Um, excellent, excellent, like beautiful human being, and got got the um, players' best interests at heart all the time. Fantastic. Well, chaps, um, it's been absolute fantastic to get you guys on three three players that that gave so much for Bristol City and obviously in Scott's case still still involved. Um, Scott, I'm not going to let it go. Twenty twenty four testimonial, your fiftieth hey. birthday, <laughs> Bristol City versus Aberdeen. What do you reckon? I wouldn't have Aberdeen because they, they wouldn't take many fans, would they? All right, we'll, well, go for, we'll go for Liverpool then. Liverpool. Uh, well, tin, Tin's drew me by anyway, isn't he? So, but um, no, listen, if it, if it happens, it happens. It's one of them things, isn't it? But listen, I'm, um, I'm a happy man as it is. Brilliant. Chaps, thank you so much for coming on. Robins Reunited. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. I hope you guys have enjoyed the banter. And I'm sure at some point soon, you'll all be back together having a drink together. Oh, yes, we will. <laughs> thank you, Pax. Top man. Really good. Good, good show as well. Cheers, mate. Thank you. Thanks to everyone for listening. If you if you like if you enjoyed it, like, share, and subscribe. 
We'll be back very soon uh, with more guests, more bonus shows and more regular shows. So take care and we'll speak soon. 